Welcome to Frantically Speaking's podcast Beyond Hard Skills. I'm your host Radeep and here's where we discuss what it takes to make it in your career beyond degrees, technical skills and hard work. Let's get started. On today's episode we're joined by Victoria. Victoria has an amazing personal story. She's no stranger to the boardroom and became a COO of an MNC by just the age of 24. And since then, she's gone on to hold senior positions in companies like Accenture, IBM, and American Express. Today, we're going to be discussing what it takes to become and remain a strong leader. So whether you're looking to move up to a leadership position and understand what it takes to get promoted or to maintain yourself as a strong leader, this episode is for you. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Victoria, I had the pleasure of speaking to you about a couple of weeks ago or so, and I was pleasantly surprised by your story as much as I know of it. There's just so much to discuss over here. Why don't we start with you telling us your story in brief? Oh, well, in brief is going to be the hard part, uh, <laughs> but I'll do I'll do my best for you. So I'm um I'm a career-long B2B uh, professional services executive. I got recruited out of the world of banking operations to be a chief operating officer for a, a large outsourcing organization or business process outsourcing, BPO for short. Um, at just age 24, new mom, like it was a stretch role for me. Uh, but that actually is where I developed my love for the world of, you know, business to business. There's just more complexity and additional stakeholders to, to be serving there. And, um, and I also really love the role of leadership and, um, and my view on leadership has changed pretty sub substantially in the way in which I show up over the years. I've stayed ever since, you know, for mm, 24 years later, um, you know, at an executive level, the last 10 or 15 have been at a, at fortune 100 companies like American express and Aon and IBM and Accenture. In addition to that, I've always maintained uh, side hustles. Uh, so I've, um, built and bought companies. Uh, I am also a professional public speaker, uh, an author. I sit on multiple boards uh, and can't forget the things that are also really meaningful on the personal side. I'm a wife, a mother, uh, and I'm a fitness fanatic, foodie, and wine lover. That's perfect. I would love to start by asking you about your journey. That You said you became part of the C-suite at a very young age. Now, what was that like for you? And how did you manage that type of pressure in a positive and negative way, both ways, uh, at that young age? Because we've seen many people who have been given responsibilities ahead of their time. And sometimes they roll with it completely and sometimes they tend to fall. So what was your experience like? And if you have any advice for anybody who might be in a similar spot? Sure. I uh, Well, first of all, I started working at the age of 11. I worked in a hair salon uh, when I was in school. And by the time I was 14, I stepped into my first leadership role. I was the assistant manager at a shoe store that I worked at while I was in high school. So when I became an executive at 24, I still had many years of leadership under my belt at that point. But for me, there was um, a tremendous amount of insecurity. I don't I don't love the phrase imposter syndrome, but most people sort of understand what that means. And and it's I, I'd say I likely had that. So one, I'd gone from running large scale contact center operations in a banking environment to now a role 
yes, as COO, so I was still accountable for operations, which was a significant part of that job. But I also had accountability for all functions of our business except for finance. So HR and technology, the B2B sales team and account management teams and all. So that was a stretch role for me. So I needed to lean on and hire or the existing folks that were the leads for each of those various departments. But also, you know, so I think I've always shown up with confidence. I will actually say um, confidence is often um, perceived as competence, good or bad. Um, so I've all that the one way in which I believe fake it till you make it is actually when it comes to confidence. So that that helped me, you know, also secure that job. But because I was I was actually the only woman on the executive team at that company, and I was the youngest by at least a couple of decades. And because I had a bit of this insecurity, I found myself showing up with what I best way to describe it as like a mask. You know, I was going to. Um, and I, I even lied about my age. What woman lies about her age, making herself older? But even I did that. And I wasn't going to show that I had vulnerabilities. I wasn't going to show that I had emotion. I was exceptionally successful in delivering business results. But I actually found out a couple of years later that I got a nickname as the Iron Maiden. And that is because I had a traumatic youth that also, like we all come show up with our lived experiences. So a result of that, plus this insecurity and unwillingness to show vulnerability because I didn't want anyone to question me. Question me. I had walls up. The mask I wore was one of which it was like all business all the time. And so as a result of this kind of slap in the face, learning that I had this nick, really like unfortunate nickname because it's actually not who I am. My, my best friend nicknamed me Turtle. Really tough exterior. I can deal with a lot of challenge and adversity, but I'm all soft and marshmallowy on the inside. So I needed to change the way in which I showed up the way in which I was leading. And some of that meant I had to do some things that made me really uncomfortable at the time. Talking about emotions in the workplace, um, not dumping, jumping immediately into the agenda when I walked into you know the meeting room, taking the first five minutes to just to engage with people and build real relationships from a place of like true authentic um care and compassion. And some of those things were just not natural for me at that point. Now it's completely innate. You know, I'm now even I'm like doing, you know, talking to strangers on elevators and just initiating conversations all the time. But again, in my 20s, um, given only female, super young, didn't have all of the experience and all of the functional areas, I I showed up in in a particular way. And so had to make a a pretty big pivot. One thing that you mentioned is that Age-wise, you are a couple of decades younger than the other people involved. And there are many people who find themselves at young ages where they have to direct people who are older to them by whatever age they might be. What suggestions do you have for that? Because it becomes a bit of an ego challenge from the other person's perspective. And why is a younger person telling me what to do and asking me for updates and following up? Did you have to deal with that? And if you did, how did you go about handling it? Yeah, I I did for sure. And I can even think um, probably one of the most like very apparent um, challenges I received from an employee was was maybe like, I think I might have actually only, I, I think I was around 30 at this point. And I, it was my first time being relocated to the US. I'm originally from Canada. And I became the head of a North American business uh, and in a newer industry for me. So I spent about a decade running corporate travel businesses. And so I got relocated to New York uh, to lead 
all of our North American business uh, operations. And I had a woman who had her entire career had been um, in the travel industry. And I, I'm going to guess at that point, she was probably close to 60. So she came almost as close as saying out loud, but I, I got it in many other ways. Like, who is this young Canadian chick coming here? And she's a tough New Yorker coming in to tell me, you know, what to do and guide me. And so my message to her, her name was Kathy, you know, was that we both bring like really different skills to the table here, but that I also was very comfortable saying, I don't know what I don't know. And this is why I'm going to look to leverage you as the subject matter expert with deep expertise in this field to help me. But what I bring is I came with strong technology background. At that point, I've, I'd also been through a couple of mergers and acquisitions and her company was acquired and being rolled into this. And so talking through what that was going to look like and how do we restructure and how do we look at things a little bit differently commercially? So for me, it was trying to show her in a, in a humble way. It's hard you know, have humility in this, that I had some skills that maybe she didn't, but I deeply respected what she um, brought to the table and that we would work together. Uh, so that is critically important. And the, the other thing, just going back to a prior comment I made, confidence. So when I needed to direct people who were much older than me, more experienced in, in a particular industry or sector than me, doing so with confidence um, has helped you know, pretty dramatically in, in giving others confidence in the direction provided. So what you're saying is that three things is what I took away. One, if you find yourself in this position at any level of the company, you need to know your strengths. You need to know the other person's strengths and respect them. And you need to show up with confidence. Don't be meek but be respectful. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. When it comes to leadership positions, and a lot of people who come to us come for career development, and we do it from a communications perspective, but essentially it's career development. And one of the biggest challenges, I think in every consultation that we do, this tends to come up, that, hey, I am great communicating. I can communicate with Radeep, with Victoria. But when my boss is in the room with me, it just faced a loss of words while talking. Do you have any thoughts on how do you deal with that? One, from a subordinate perspective, talking to their boss, and you, who has held a leadership position for so long in so many different capacities. Have you ever come across that from the other perspective, wherein, hey, you know, I can feel this person being a little nervous with me, and how have you probably eased that situation if you've been in it? Uh, so I... Fortunately, it's very rare for me to be, have ever felt um, super like insecure uh, around speaking up. It's not like I'm known for being like pretty bold, radically candid, quite quite open, and again showing up with confidence. However, um, I don't like to speak about things that I I don't not not necessarily deeply understand, but I, I don't want to say things that I don't know. Earlier, I said, I'm good to say, I don't know what I don't know. And so acknowledging that. So I'm not just going to speak for the sake of speaking. So I want to make sure that I understand the content behind however I'm going to respond or how I'm going to speak up. So I do think that that's important. Um, but I would tell people that are in that you know position, I, I think most leaders are looking for their employees to share their knowledge, their feedback or expertise. They're the ones who are 
on the, I'll say the front lines, they might be higher up in the organization, but they're on the front line. So we, we very much respect that. Um, so I'd encourage your listeners who are in that position to, you know, have some confidence to do it, ensure that you, you understand the the data or the information or whatever you're going to be sharing. But I will also say for leaders, um, I, I think this is an important skill for, for leaders to so spend a lot of time observing the room, a lot harder when we do that only through Zoom, uh, but to see, you know, those who sit back quietly and um, offer them the opportunity to speak up and say like, hey, Paul, hey, Sally, like, I love your perspective on this. Can you share? Um, and then the more that the, you do that, the more times you gain confidence with it. And then the more upfront you'll you'll be to do that without being prompted in future. I love that. I have, the, I have a similar question for you with a slight tweak because you've been through this. That So we've had a lot of people in the podcast, especially women, come in and talk about the fact that what you said in the beginning, that I was the only woman in the room for a very long time. And the same thing as I told you, a lot of people have a challenge with speaking up with their seniors. A lot of women in certain sectors have a challenge speaking up in general because of biases or whatever it might be. It might be specific to their company. How did you deal with this and any suggestions you would have to anyone who's feeling restricted, even though they have the knowledge and qualifications to contribute to a particular topic, especially in the boardroom? Yeah, um, I do want to acknowledge cultural differences around the world. Um, I try and break those um, barriers down. And so I experience some you know, greater discrimination in certain parts of the world earlier in my career um, uh, for being a woman. And so I just sort of embrace it and stand it up and, you know, and show, I try and be, I'm respectful of the culture, but I'm also in a particular role for a reason I, and I'm here to lead the team. So I'm not going to, you know, so play super demure and fall into that. So I would um, tell your listener, be mindful of that. Um, but I also ask women to challenge this, challenge that status quo. We need to move the needle forward. And um <sighs> It's it's disappointing for me. So actually, there's a statistic around um, men and women applying for promotions or new jobs. Women typically will not apply for a job or promotion if they um, don't believe they have nine, eight, nine or ten out of the ten skills or requirements that are listed. Men typically will do so at five or six, uh, and um, so I think that a lot of that has to do again with confidence. Um, and maybe it's this, you know, imposter syndrome. And so there, there, and there are still huge disparities uh, in certain, as you said, certain sectors or industries. I worked for IBM a number of years ago, who's very progressive. In fact, there's big focus. I remember one year, 53% of our like new college grads were women. But once you start getting into the senior ranks and they're trying to change that. So I just don't want to state that, but I was leading um, a large strategy um uh, session. And I walked into our large boardroom. It was me and one other woman with 40, four zero men. Um, and a bunch of people on the phone, only one woman and however many other men were on, on the phone. So it, it is still a reality. So again, I would say for, you know, women be confident in your skills, the knowledge, the expertise that you bring to the table and embrace the things that make you different from your counterparts, not just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to create gender stereotypes, but like, don't be afraid. Like I once was to be emotional and show that as 
part of the way in which we show up in business. Got it. Got it. That's fantastic. Yeah, by the way, we've had a few clients from IBM and I've had one other person tell me this exact thing that IBM is quite progressive in terms, not to name a brand for any reason, but because we are bringing it up, they're quite progressive in terms of this particular aspect. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the main areas where we've seen leadership become difficult is when someone who has a very technical background is so good at their job and is now being promoted to a managerial position. And that transition is so difficult because they are so used to doing the work, they're so used to being the technician, and now they have to suddenly look at other people's work. And the mistake that a lot of them make is that, you're not doing it properly, let me just do it myself. And the aspects of delegation, the aspects of training all go out the window. Keeping that in mind and keeping, of course, the obvious aspects in mind as well, uh, I'm sure you must have seen a lot of these transitions take place. Some go very well and some don't go so well. Any thoughts over there in terms of how can someone make it easier for themselves to transition from a technical to a managerial position if they are presented with that opportunity? Well, a, a few things, both from sort of an employee perspective. I want to encourage people to recognize that success doesn't necessarily purely mean hierarchy in an organization. So I feel like there's a lot of people who think that to be successful, they need to progress and move into people management, et cetera. That is not for everyone. So, you know, look critically in the mirror and do some time self-reflecting around um, really the, the career goal aspirations. I remember taking someone from a finance who wanted to move up. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure she's going to be a strong people leader, um, but this is the path she wanted. I helped support her. And then she did it. And like six months later, she's like, I freaking hate it. She's like, I feel like I'm in high school and I'm babysitting and da da da. And like that, she realized it wasn't for her. So first of all, sit back critically and um and see if that's truly what you want. Understand what comes with people leadership. Uh, and if not, that's fine. There's stronger technical paths you can go. Again, I think of like you know the opportunities at IBM or I was at Accenture after that that we create for the technical side versus those that are in more an op operations or consulting kind of background. So that's that's one. Two is if you decide that's the path you want to go on, then you do need to look at the things you need to stop doing as you progress, much like the example you gave, like you, you got to stop being hands on keyboard to do the actual coding. And it's much more around how do you coach and develop other people? And that, and that's hard. And I'll tell you, like I'm, I'm an A-type personality. And when I first moved into some of these leadership roles, I was very apt myself just to dive in because sometimes it's easier and faster, but people don't learn that way. So that's a learned skill, something you need to be very intentional about as a leader. And the last thing I'll say in that, for the leaders promoting these people into leadership roles, provide them with development, provide them with coaching and guidance to help them be successful because these are new skills as a people leader they need to learn. Fantastic. We just spoke about what happens when somebody does get the opportunity to be promoted. But if you take a step back and talk about people who are looking for the opportunity in the first place, you being someone who in many cases would be making decisions who to promote and who to put in which position. What are some green flags and some red flags that you noticed in people that make you decide to go or go against somebody's promotion or where to place them? Basically not putting them in on, on a hierarchical level. So uh, there's, there's things that for, for me, sir, I want to, are they 
performing in their existing roles. I mean, that that is important and that's an indicator of how they're going to perform in a different you know, role within the organization. I also very much look for potential. And this is, you know, the where I think, you know, good leaders um, distinguish themselves from others. And so that's finding, so take that, you know, the finding, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I want to find diverse talent, whether it's women or people of color or neurodiverse people, what whatever element of diversity, find those people because there's a richness that they can bring to the table with the lived ex experiences that they have. And if they don't have all of the qualification, go back to that, like 10 requisite skills. If they come with seven, then great. That's my job as a leader because they perform and they have potential. I'm going to invest the time in them to help bridge that gap. Um, so I do think that's really important. And the other will be around fit. There's a big part around like, how do the teams fit together? And so for me, I'm looking at what skills do people bring to the table? Again, I talk about potential, um, but um, the the diversity of experience they've had they have and the way in which they're going to fit with other people on the team particularly and so I I hire executives now and so I'm looking for how are they going to you know lead their teams what kind of a people leader are they so when I interview people I assume by the time they've gotten to me because they're pre-screened and whatnot I'm not testing for any of their skills or experience a lot of it has to do with talk to me about problem solving. Talk to me about this complex situation with a client or with a team member and how you've dealt with it and how they respond to that gives me pretty good insight over whether I think that they're going to be the right hire or promotion. Got it. And what what about the the red flags? Anything that you notice and you're like, okay, you know, this is a sign after look, if there is any sign after look deeper into. Yeah, I um I listen really carefully for um I, I'm I'm also maniacally focused around the right kind of culture. And I believe culture is more of an outcome of not just, you know, the vision and values and purpose of the company, but are, are the leaders walking the, you know, the walk and not just the talk. And it's not just policies and procedures. And so there's flags for me. And again, I'm hiring leaders of leaders, usually things like a constant, I, I, I did this. I'm looking for a balance of I. I and e, you know, in, in that conversation, uh, I am looking for humility, uh, and, and there's red flags depending on the, sometimes the different function. So for me, from hiring for a sales leader or a really senior individual sales contributor, uh, again, I'm looking for a way in which they're going to operate. Most of the last 15 years, as I said, have been like Fortune 100 companies. You have to team with other people to be successful. You look at the likes of, I'll just go back to IBM, multiple business units. Usually it's one not delivering it on their own. Even if it's just a technology implementation, you have to work with the change management team who are going to help you know bridge you know what that transformation. So you're working with all these different groups. So I'm the red flags for me are people, again, who are... Um, come across a little bit narcissistic. I'm talking, well, on any front, but sales specifically, how are they teaming with people? And if I don't hear great examples of that, uh, then that's that's a no for me. Someone who feels like they're just going to exert, you know, their job title over everyone as a way of demonstrating like their you know, success or hierarchy in our organization. That's a no, hard no for me.
I love that. And for anyone listening, if you have an interview, whether it's leadership or not, please have examples to sub. Don't just go and say, my best quality is I'm very patient. Have examples to support that because that just changes the perception your interviewer has. Fantastic. I have two questions for you which revolve around the number three. So question number one is, because you've been in this for so long, I'm sure there are many and I'm sorry to put you in this thought, but your your top three leadership traits, what you feel is more important than anything and any three leadership books that you would recommend to, for anyone to learn those traits or in general to get a better sense of leadership? Uh, I am... Um... I refer to the kind of leader that I am and that I seek as whole human leadership. And so for that as a leader, I mean, the the table stakes are just, you know, under like managing and understanding biz, business metrics and how success is measured within an organization. So you need to perform, but actually as a leaders of people, you do that through, um, I, I refer to it, I've written a couple books and I refer to it um, as the three acts of engagement courage. So you need to be bold and take courageous steps to do the right thing in business, to live the values and the purpose that are stated for the organization and for your role and help others understand that. Uh, but the, the courageousness is it's hard and to push back some sometimes to, again, live the values that you say. The next is around being vulnerable. So going back to our earlier conversation, a building a followership a team that would follow you through the proverbial fire or want to come with you to your next organization, doing that comes through deep trust and connection with people. And to do that, you actually have to be vulnerable. Uh, and so that's, again, I wasn't com comfortable or natural for me 20 something years ago. Now it very much is, but I, I, I think that's important. And I don't mean to put any gender on it, but most people are like, oh, men versus women. The reality is we can all do that. And we can do that in just small ways with people. And the third would be authenticity, always. And so with that comes things like transparency in our communications to the extent that we can. There, there's sometimes there's things we cannot share, um, but sometimes even just acknowledging that openly, um, you know, creates the the trust that we seek. Um, so those are some of the the big ones I'd say. Now, in terms of leadership books, there's. There's a lot um, I like. I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. And one that I like, and it's not necessarily specific to leadership, but going back to the way in which I think we need to operate, the infinite game. You know, we don't win at life. We don't win at business. Sure, we win contracts and individual, you know, but so looking at it from the, the, the long game, and that goes back to doing the right thing. For me, building like relationships with perspective clients because we care and we value them versus just selling widgets. Uh, and so I, I really like, love that book. Um, what else? I'm, I'm looking up to my bookshelf right now. Uh, By the there's... way, while Victoria thinks also knows she's also an author, we're going to discuss her book shortly as well. But yeah, these are besides her books, <laughs> what she's going to recommend. Um, there, oh, there's two. It's it's a, it's a pair, um, and it's more for those that are in in sales and in in and business to business in particular. So the challenger customer, and the challenger sale, and so the first one talks about the the, the seven different like buyer types, just understanding people and what motivates them and drive them, so that um, you can figure out how to sort of navigate the individuals in their organization. The challenger sale, um, and talks about um, the fact that. 
and this this one now came out several years ago, so I'm sure the numbers increased, but at the time it was like there's an average of, I can't remember if it was 5.3 or 5.4 buyers for every sale transaction in business. I think that's probably increased. Uh, and in doing so, like just again, learning how to navigate around. And I think this is where people get really focused on, oh, it's the head of procurement or it's this, you know, the chief technology officer, but like who owns the PL? Like they're the ones who are making the decision. How's that aligned to their strategy? So that, that one's been a really great one. And I usually recommend that, um, those two books uh, for my my team members. Fantastic. The first one I've heard of, I've not heard of, of these two. I'll check them out. And finally, I would love to know a little bit about your current projects. What do you have going on? I know what you have going on because I ch checked you on LinkedIn, on Instagram and everything. But uh, if you could tell the viewers what you have going on, what have you done in the past in terms of books? And uh, we can yeah. conclude. Sure. Well, I mean, big thing for me is actually I'm in transition from a C-suite perspective. I left Accenture in the summer and so I'm looking for my next you know, gig as an executive um, that's, you know, going to align to all the things that, you know, bring me joy from a, from a career perspective. And, you know, I'm, I sit on a board. Um, and so that keeps me busy. But while I was in transition, I'm not very good at like being idle. And so I decided to write a book. And when I was debating between two topics, I, I spent a lot of time, um, again, I'm a keynote speaker as well. Um, and, and I do some, some coaching, uh, I couldn't decide between the two topics. So I decided I was going to write them both, um, which was a lot that I was um, biting off. Um, so the first one just released this week, it's on personal branding called Influence Unleashed. And I talk um, around sort of the foundational elements of how do you build a brand. Uh, and then the second one that will come out in the summer is on whole human leadership. So that's the leadership and culture book. Fantastic. And where can people find you? What's the best place to connect with you? I know you're big on LinkedIn and Instagram as far as I saw, but anywhere else besides those two people can connect with you. We'll leave the links in the description as well, but yeah, you can go ahead. Well, I have a website, which is victoria-peltier.com. That's just getting a refresh right now, a little bit more modernized, um, particularly as the books are coming out. But through there, the podcasts that I do, if I've got links them, the blogs that I write or articles that I write, the books are available there. It also has the links to connect with me on all the other social channels. Yes, LinkedIn is my primary, but I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I prefer Twitter to calling it X. Um, although my youngest child gets mad at me and jokes because I'm not on TikTok and Snapchat. I'm like, I had to make a choice. Uh, so. Fair enough. Victoria, it's been a pleasure. I've gotten a lot out of this and I'm sure the viewers have as well thank you so much for doing this i hope you guys enjoyed listening to this and gained as much value as i did until next time thank you so much for being with us to the end if you found this useful do share it with someone who might benefit from it and if you're looking for more communication and soft skill tips follow us on instagram facebook or youtube Lastly, if you would like a step-by-step -step process to improve upon your communication skills to accelerate your career growth, you can go on our website and book a free communication consultation call with me. Thank you for joining us and I'll see you next time.